Sunday. You all know we have different purposes on Sundays and Wednesdays. And once in a while they flow together, they, they mix. I can pull the Wednesday one and over to get people into what, what's going on. But on Sundays, we're always topical. We're looking at the Word of God at a topical standpoint to see what the entire Word says on a topic. And so we bounce around all over the place on a Sunday morning. On a Wednesday, on a Wednesday night, we don't do that. On a Wednesday night, we are either on a book study or a character study, and we stay right in there. Now, once in a while in our book studies, like we're doing Ephesians right now, when we hit something like the armor of God, in order to bring light on it, we will go into other places to bring, bring light on it. But we're looking at the armor of God. We're looking at the different pieces of the armor. We've been on the sword of the Spirit. And after we cover what the sword of the Spirit was, some things I mentioned to you dropped down to me. These are tactics that the enemy uses against our sword to make it dull, to make it not usable, and to make it something that we don't, uh, we don't use. And so we're taking a look at those. The first one we saw was the enemy likes to make us uncertain of the word. If you are uncertain of the word that you heard from God, if he can cloud that up, if he can make you not sure if it came from God or clear, um, make the message that God said unclear, if he can do that, I will be uncertain using it in battle. Next thing he'll do is to corrupt it. If, he can't, if, you, if you are certain that you heard from God, he's going to try and change what you heard or add to what you heard. He's going to try and corrupt it because a broken sword is no use in battle either. If he hasn't gotten that far, he's going to try and make the word of God seem unnecessary. If it's unnecessary, if it's something, well, I just don't see that I need to do this, then I will not honor it. Last week we looked at an unavailing sword. He wants to make you think that the word that you heard won't really bring much difference. There's no sense you've gone too far. We looked at Zedekiah. He was our example. All right, if he feels useless, it feels like no matter what it is that I try, it's not going to work. Sometimes you feel like the word that God spoke to you there's no way this is going to make, it's not going to change my situation. But this week we're going to look at another one. This is the fifth one. There are six altogether. But this is the fifth, fifth one. This is an unoccupied word. An unoccupied word. Now, the word unoccupied is used to describe something that was once inhabited, but is now unused and vacant. Or something that was made for use that hasn't been used yet. If you have a hospital and they have 1,000 hospital beds, but the hospital never came to full capacity. They only came to 50% of capacity. 50% of those beds are unoccupied. They've never been used, but they're still classified, called unoccupied. Sometimes we see some things that they were in use, and now, for some reason, they are they are not occupied. No one is in them. Uh, I pulled some pictures up to, uh, to show you. I thought we might have some more of the, the kids here, and I thought they would enjoy it, but adults are going to enjoy these, these anyway. So, Daryl, if you'll bring those up for me. All right. I got some. These are some what you call abandoned homes. Um, and what we have with those is the... Um, this is an old house. I mean, it looks pretty cool, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I love looking at abandoned places, places that were once used a long time ago, and then they just kind of sat uh, unused, abandoned. 
for whatever the reason it was, and you just kind of wonder, why is that? I watch videos. People go through video tours, and they take you through these places, and they show you some of the stuff that was there and some of the rooms, some of them mostly untouched and some of them just vandalized. But here in this one, you can kind of see some of the, the majesty that was here in this place. But for some reason, everyone left it alone. It is unoccupied, but it's also abandoned. Go on to our next one. Now, this one looks pretty good. Anybody want to stay here tonight? That, uh, I mean, that is a huge house. And for some reason, the situation came up that uh, the people that used to own it, maybe the people who built it, abandoned it, and they left it. And it's unoccupied now. No one, no one is in it. Here's the next one. Now, this, it was a, a school for girls. It was, I, I believe I pulled the, the text I had on this one. It's called the Bennett School for Girls, if anyone's ever heard of that. It was uh, built in 1893. It's been slowly decaying since, decaying since its closure in 1978. So almost 100 years it had operated. It had an 85-year history. A lot of uh, young women, had uh, very prominent ones, had gone here. But it grew less popular in the 70s as uh, schools, uh, uh, girls' schools and boys' schools became less popular in the 70s. And so it became less popular too, less people to take care of it, so they eventually abandoned it. And it's now uh, in the process, at least the text I saw in it, said it's in the process of being in demolition. And they're taking it down. Let's go on to our next one. This one is of an interesting house. This is, the, this is a concrete house. It is the only concrete house uh, surviving one in England. It is, uh, it's in Dulwich, London. It's from the 19th century. It was built by Charles Drakeoff by the Patent Concrete Building Company. It is a, uh, listed on English Heritage Building as an at-risk uh, uh, house. So this one, you can see it's fallen in a lot of disrepair, but that is a concrete house that apparently someone had built and decided um, to leave it for whatever reason that was. was. Go on to the next one. This is the church in Detroit, Michigan. Used to be filled with people singing praises to God, word of God being taught, and it's now abandoned. There is a book out that you can get. It's actually a coffee table book. It's a very expensive book if you weren't to go out and buy it. Um, I like looking through it because there's some, there's some online access you can get, but it's called, if you ever want to look this up, if you like these kind of things, it's called The Ruins of Detroit. That's the name of the book. If you just do a, a Google search on The Ruins of Detroit, you will find some of the most incredible structures that were left abandoned. They were left to decay out in the Detroit. Detroit was once a very prosperous city, one of the most prosperous cities in our country. And then that um, took a, a drastic turn. And most of those things uh, were not able to be supported. There's a, there's a Spanish theater that I just love going back and seeing the pictures of this on. It is just remarkable. Many different churches that are out there, different uh, uh, factories, 
that are abandoned. You can get a, a tour. They'll take you through and they'll, they'll show you these things. Go on to our next one. I thought you might like to see the inside beside the outside because I think I'm more fascinated by the inside of abandoned houses and unoccupied homes than, than others. But this is a, one of the bedrooms <clears throat> of one of the houses that's unoccupied, abandoned. But take a look at all that. They just leave all that sort of stuff. It's amazing the things people leave behind in abandoned houses that they have just up and gone. Sometimes the refrigerator was filled with food. Uh, closets are filled with clothes. Uh, pictures are all over. You'll see personal items, such as even passports, that are uh, just left behind. But that's uh, a very furnished room, and there are some that are very nicely furnished. Uh, some are more preserved than others. Go on to our next one. I pulled this one up because I want to show you something. When you get into a house that is abandoned, when you get into a house that is unoccupied for a long period of time, the thing that happens to the house is no one is around to take care of it. When no one is around to take care of it, no one's around to fix the leak, no one's around to, to uh, close the window, repair a broken window, water gets in, weather gets in, nature gets in, and pretty soon the house begins to deteriorate. No one's there to put a fresh coat of paint on, so the wood begins to, to rot away. And the house will become something that uh, was never intended to be. Eventually, if, if nobody gets to it, you're going to have to tear the whole thing down. And it, it will go away. But this is what happens when something becomes unoccupi unoccupied. I wrote in your outline this, when we doubt the word that we once had been operating in, our lives, when we doubt the word that once had been operating in our lives, that word becomes unoccupied. We had occupied it. We had worked in it. We had done things with it. But then for some reason, we left it. Now, you don't have to be away from something for months or years for a house to be designated unoccupied. If you have tenants that are in the house, but at the end of the month, they're going to move out on the first of the month, what is that house considered? Unoccupied. As soon as the people move out of the house, the house is considered unoccupied. If you are going around looking at houses, they may tell you this house is unoccupied. It's not abandoned. It's unoccupied. People once lived in there, but now they've moved out. It's, it's not there. People once lived in the word that they heard from God, but for some reason, they moved out. And it's unoccupied. And that's what we want to take a look at here. Because there's a phenomenal example of this in the word. We're going to look at two in depth. We'll give you a couple other ones, but we're going to look at two of these so that you can get a handle on what happens. And what... The two we're going to look at, these are very mature uh, people in the Word. These are people that God uses greatly and had a great call on their life. And yet they left the Word that God spoke them to them, and that Word became unoccupied. Some of the areas in our spiritual life this can apply to, there are principles that we once knew and believed. There are promises we once often pondered. There's wisdom we once learned and walked in. 
healing we once received. These are things that we operated in. These are things that we walked in, but we left them. God has made these things for us to inhabit, but somehow we left them abandoned and uninhabited. Whenever you take something that God gave you, a word that God gave you, and you leave it abandoned and uninhabited, it will fall into disrepair. It won't get the attention that it needs. And it won't be what it was when you left it. We're going to take a look at a story here. We haven't looked at uh, John the Baptist in a while. But in John chapter 1, verse 29, John received a rhema word. Now, we know that the sword of the Spirit is not the Lagos word. It is the rhema word. That's what Paul called it. He uses the word rhema, which is the spoken word. It has to become more than just the written word. It has to become something that God speaks to you. God reveals it to you. God opens it up. This is what this is mean. Oh, now I see that. Now I understand what this can be. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He saw Jesus coming toward him and he spoke this. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How many people on this particular day knew that Jesus was the Messiah? But John does. And John speaks it out. John says it. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. That's not John's rhema word. That's what he saw. Verse 33. I did not know him. That's the second time he said that. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize. Who sent him to baptize? God the Father. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, said to me, that makes us what? That makes us a rhema word. Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He knows that he is the forerunner for Messiah. He knows I baptize in water, but the one who comes after me will baptize in the Holy Spirit. He knows this. And so the Spirit said to him, God said through the Spirit of God, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So when John says, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. So he heard the word that God spoke, then he saw the word materialize. Because he saw that, he then says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's already had this experience. He's pointing this out to the people. Some of his disciples even left to follow Jesus after this. 
Verse 34. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Is he walking in that rhema word? God gave him a rhema word. That rhema word defined his purpose, his place on this earth, what he was supposed to accomplish, what he was supposed to do, who he was to look for, who he was to point towards. And he did all that. He saw all these things come about. He had that word. You're going to see the Spirit of God descend and remain upon him. This is what you're going to see. He says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That's his rhema word. That's what God gave him. Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so. Now, for this, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had baptized, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So John is convinced this is the Messiah. This is Jesus. This is the fulfillment of what I have been called to do. I have been sent to prepare the way for the Son of God, for the Messiah. I came baptizing in water, but he who comes after me will baptize with the Spirit. He pointed him out. Here he is. Here he is. John or Luke chapter 7. Let's read over there. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, the things that Jesus was doing. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? John went from hearing what God spoke to him, to seeing it unfold in John chapter 1, 32 and 33, to speaking it confidently, verse 29 and 34, to doubting what he knew, saw, and walked in. What happened was he had a word from God. He had a rhema sword from God. And now, for some reason, he has decided... I'm not sure. Disciples, will you go ask Jesus if he's the one? Well, these are the very disciples that were following him when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These are the very ones which he spoke that whole rainbow word out to them. God said, When I see the Spirit of God descending and remaining, this is the one. And I've seen it, and I testify, this is him. And now all of a sudden he's questioning it? You see, he operated in this. He walked in this sword. He walked in this word that he got from God. But now he's leaving it unoccupied. He's abandoning it. He's leaving it out. John is, he is not a new Christian. He is a person with a very significant call. But he's having some some doubts. He's coming to the end of his life. He's in prison when, he's, when he says this. 
and he sends his disciples. His disciples are, they can't interact the same way. They have to kind of come to their prison, talk to John for a little bit. John talks to them and says, hey, will you go and just ask Jesus, are you, are you the one? Are you the one? Verse 21, In that very hour he cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That's a, that's a long list of things that he's doing. A lot of these things are people no one had done. No one had cleansed lepers. Jesus was the first to come along and cleanse lepers. They had not seen this. We have one example of someone who was healed before. One. But that's it. Now, we talked to you before about that, too. And uh, it's remarkable what that was a testimony of. And still the Pharisees wouldn't, uh, would not look at that. But he didn't just give them a simple yes or no here. He says, all right, I want you to watch what's going on. And I want you to report what's happening. So he let them see. He let them st- stick around for a little while. He just kind of uh, kind of watch and see what's going on here. Now, a lot of times we can wish that God would just say to us, yes or no, right? We just like to say, is this, is this guy okay? Is this guy supposed to do this? Is this person over here supposed to do that? What's going on? We just, is, we just want a yes or no. And God just says, observe. Observe. See what they're, see what they're doing. Yeah, sometimes we'll hear a, a man or a woman, they're out there, they're ministering to God, and maybe something about the way that they minister we don't like. Certainly that's not with anybody here, but you know other places, you know, they sometimes run into that. They just don't like the method of delivery. They don't like the song choice. How can the Spirit of God move when all they do is sing hymns? How can the Spirit of God move when all they do is sing choruses? How can the Spirit of God move when all they have is a piano? They don't have a full... How can the Spirit of God move when they're using drums up on the stage? You know, people have these different attitudes of, of things, and they feel like, well, they God can't move if these certain things are in place. But God knows, he tells us, you, you can see the hand of God. You can see lying wonders from, from real ones. And we are, we're supposed to be able to tell those things. So he lets them hang out. Now go tell John what you see. Go tell him what you hear. Don't be offended when you see people that you think are less than what they should be doing what God called them to do. Don't get offended. Don't get bothered by it. Somehow, Jesus, in the course of these years, has disappointed John. Somehow, John had an expectation that Jesus would operate in a certain way. And he's not seeing it. And so he's beginning to question He's beginning to wonder, are you really the Messiah? I kind of felt like by now Messiah would be doing certain things. And you're not doing those things. Are you really the one who's of God? But you remember, he had the rhema word. 
whom you see this go on. And, and John's up there. He's testifying. I saw it. The Spirit of God came down and it remained on him. I saw it. I testify right now. This is the Son of God. And now, you see, we can, we can abandon the sword we were given. That was a sword that was delivered to him to help him fight any battle that would come against his call. And it worked, too. John was bold. He was, he'd pick a fight anywhere. Come on, King, you want to take me on? Let's go. Because he's got that sword. And he's ready to do battle. But all of a sudden, he seems to have put the sword away. Not quite using it the way that he was. So Jesus teaches his disciples after this who John truly was. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is greater than he. Well, we could spend time on a lot of things that he, he says in there. But so often, we have an expectation. I think that if God is going to send someone to do this, this is what they ought to be like. This is what they ought to look like. This is how they ought to talk. This is how they ought to act. And if they don't quite measure up to that, we begin to say, I don't think this is who I'm looking for. Don't become offended. But John put his sword away. He kind of needed it at that time, too. He should have stuck with it. Maybe he did pick it back up again after this. But let's go over to another familiar story. You all know this. We're not going to spend too much time teaching on the story. I just want you to see the sword. Because it's here. Understand this. Just because something is taught in the New Testament does not mean its presence is only in the New Testament. The armor of God is all through the Word of God. The armor of God is in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. All you got to do is look for it. But it's there. Here, Elijah has the armor of God, and he has a sword. In 1 Kings 17, verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, I'm not going to teach on too much of this, but sometimes this gets away from people. 
been here for a while, you all know this one already. But the ravens fed him because they took food from Ahab's table. Because what Ahab would do in the worship of one of his gods is they would spread all this food out for the gods and the ravens would come and take the food. They believed they carried it to the gods. They were carrying it to Elisha. <laughs> so Ahab was feeding the very guy he was hunting. That's where all that food came from. The ravens had come, they'd descend on the table that Ahab had set up, and they carried it on over there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a comical part that's not in the text, but uh, that's what was going on. And so these birds would carry this over to him, and uh, he had the, the water to drink at the, at the brook. But he had this, this word. The word came, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So whatever the ravens were doing with the food other times, we don't know. They probably were taking it back and eating it themselves. But God said, hold on. You need to take some of this over here to Elijah, my man over here. And so the ravens listened, and they took some of it on over there to Elijah, and then they ate the rest of it. Because what he put out there was not food for one person. It was, it was a big feast. And they would do this. Imagine this. Food is getting scarce, but they would continue to do this, even though they didn't have enough food for the, for the people. They would put this food out there for this God. So every day, they would put this table out. The ravens would come, pick it all up, take it over to them. I wonder if uh, Elijah ever said, hey, you know, tomorrow, can you get a little bit more of this? I like these ones over here. Can you get a little bit more of these? I don't know if he ever tried to do that, but he took those things. But after a while, the brook dried up. Now, what happened to the rainbow word? Well, the brook dried up because there's no water coming in. God didn't say he was going to supernaturally supply the water. He just said, go over there by the brook, and I'll feed you there by the ravens. Now, we can get discouraged and say, oh, this word's not working anymore. God didn't say this was an eternal word. He said, I want you to go over there by the brook. Now, the brooks are drying up, so he's probably knowing, all right, so it's now time to move on. Don't doubt the word that God gave you. Don't ever doubt it. It may just have been for a time, but you don't have to doubt it. Just simply say, all right, well, the brook has dried up now. Uh, what else do you want me to do? Because it's great to still have the food coming from the ravens, but you need some water. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. You all know this happens to be in whose territory? Jezebel's. This is where Jezebel's from. So God is going to hide Elijah in Jezebel's home country. I mean, God's just messing with these people over here. You know, God will mess with your enemies. So arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. I have commanded. Well, first off, he commanded the ravens, and the ravens came and they fed him. I have commanded a widow to provide for you. That's a rhema word, isn't it? He spoke the rhema, He spoke this word, so he needs to go on out there, and he needs to put this thing in operation. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. 
And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now, if you got this rhema word and you weren't told what widow, there's probably other widows here, but you're hearing this is the first widow you come to. She's out there gathering sticks. Hey, we're just making our last meal before we die. Oh, all right. God must not mean you. <laughs> How many of you are thinking that? <laughs> God must not mean you. There must be some other widow because God said there's going to be a widow who's going to provide for me. Obviously, you cannot. You can't even provide for yourselves. How many of you are ready to not necessarily abandon the word that God gave you, but obviously we got to find someone else. And, but he doesn't do that. He says something I think would be very difficult to say. I would have a hard time saying it. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. So, first thing I want you to do, widow woman who's going to make a little bit of, of, of uh, cake for you and your son and then die. Before you feed your son, whom you love, a lot more than me, I want you to go and to make a cake for me first. He didn't say go and make all that you've got. He gave her specific instructions. I want you to go and make a cake for me first. Bring it here. And then go back. And then make the cake for you and your son. Those are the instructions. Do that first. For, the, for thus says the Lord. Now he gave her something. He's given her a rhema word here. For thus says the Lord. the Lord. The Lord spoke a word to him and he is speaking it to her. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So, here's the word. God said, whatever flour we got, it's going to last. Whatever oil we got, it's going to last. We're going to be okay. All you got to do is make me a cake first. Now, that's a step of faith. She doesn't know this guy. His ministry is in northern Israel. He does not know who this man is. Maybe some rumors have come since it is, uh, you know, the, the home country of the evil woman Jezebel. Maybe she's gone home and visited and she's talked about this nemesis of hers, Elijah. I don't know that he's identified himself yet. But you see, he's revealing more of the word. This is what the Lord told him. I'm going to provide for you there a widow. He didn't just say that. I'm going to provide for you there a widow. And the flour and the oil that you have will continue to last. Now, he may not have known that it was the last bit of flour that you had. He may have been thinking, well, there may have been more. But he, he jumps on this. He says, no, make me a cake first. He knows you've got to have some faith in this word. You've got to take this word and you've got to occupy it. You've got to get involved with it. 
you got to be in there. So here's your opportunity. Make me a cake first. And then go back. And do the rest. So she did. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So Elijah's the one who put this thing to, to speech. So they're operating in that word, right? Chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So the, the drought is over. Now, it's not recorded in the Bible, but we do know from other places, in, the, in this passage, we'll, we'll get to them here in just a little bit, that the reason that he said there will be no rain on the earth is because God told him there will be no rain on the earth, so he is just repeating what God said. He says, not until my word, but he knows that until God gives him the word to say there'll be rain, he wasn't going to speak it. So that's why he said, until I speak it, it's not going to happen. God gave me the word, he'll give me the word that is coming back. And so he knew that he would come and do that. So now the word is coming. It's three and a half years of famine. Now the word is coming. Go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Verse 20, jump on down there. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. The part we skipped is that Ahab took his most trusted guy and uh, the two of them, uh, they decided to, to venture out. And one, Obadiah, he's a, he's a man of God. He, is, he fears God. He's looking after the things of God. Ahab is not. So Ahab goes one way. He goes the other. And so... Uh, Elijah comes to his side, his side, not Ahab's. And he says, uh-oh, if you go, if you leave, I'm not going to be able to find you. And if I can't find you, Ahab's going to kill me. He's going to say, why'd you get my hopes up? They're out looking for grass. They're out looking for water. They're out looking for stuff like this. But he found the guy that they've been looking for. So that's what happens in between. You can go home and read that on your own if you like to. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now on the mountain, he's the only one. He's not, we know from the word of God, he's not the only one there. But from the mountain, he's the, he's the only one. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it in, on the wood. But put no fire under it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood. But put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So he says, you get two bulls. I'm not going to provide them. You guys provide them. And then you can pick which one you want. This way, it's, I'm not staging anything. You pick which one you want. I'll take the one that you don't pick. And then you guys get to go first. Let's see if your God answers by fire. 
Down to verse 36, and it came to pass. We're skipping all the stuff that they did because it's just ridiculous. But they all tried to call on their God and he wasn't answering and eventually Elijah starts mocking them. You know, maybe he's on the toilet. He's got to wait a little while. I mean, he just really started mocking them on, on that and eventually he says, all right, you all had enough time. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And that, now look at this, and that I have done all these things at your word. Everything that he has done so far, declaring the drought, was done at the word of the Lord. Declaring the end of the drought, done at the word of the Lord. Going into the hiding, done at the word of the Lord. Coming here on the mountain, done at the word of the Lord. Calling for fire to be the one that shows who is God. At the word of the Lord. Everything he has done, he's done at the word of the Lord. Which means, it's a sword. It is a rhema word. Everyone is a rhema word. And he went out and he operated it. In this last one, God says to him, I want you to go out in the mountain. I'm summarizing because I don't know exactly. He didn't write it down. But we're summarizing for you what it, what it probably was. When you go out in the mountain, we're going to do two sacrifices. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And then you put your stuff out there and I'll answer by fire. I will send fire down. You have the ability to call fire down. I want you to do that. I want you to call fire down. And when you call for that fire, I will send the fire down and it will burn up the offering. Now these folks agreed to this. And if you were around before when we did the thing on the prophets, they agreed to this most likely because they have called fire down before. You would never agree to a contest that you had not done before. If you're going to have a contest and you're going to go into a pool hall and shoot pool and the winner, if you never shot pool before, you're going to pick another game, aren't you? You're going to find something that you have done. I'm convinced these prophets on the mountains would call fire down from heaven and fire would come. But we showed you one of the ministries of a prophet, especially in the Old Testament, one of the ministries of, of the prophet was to hinder the powers of the enemy. We spent time on that before. We're not going to spend time on it now. But if you're interested in that, I can always uh, get you back to the, to the things that we did on, on that to show you. As long as Elijah is there, they cannot call down what they are used to calling down, which is why they went on such a tirade, starting to cut themselves and stuff, because this has worked before. This has gone on before, but it's not going on now. This is shocking to them. And Elijah says, that's enough. And he sets it up, and he, as soon as he calls on the name of God, fire comes down. Now I want you to notice something. That is a ramus sword that God has put into the hands of Elijah that he can call down fire. Do you remember when, when servants were sent to get Elijah and 50 came and they said, come down from here. And he said, what? If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and burn you up. And fire came down from heaven and burned them all up. Then they sent out another delegation. 
And they said, come down from here. And he said, if I am a man of God, may fire come down and burn you up. And fire came down from heaven and burned them up. Then the third delegation was sent. And they begged and pleaded. We don't want to die. We don't want to die. We understand you're a man of God. Would you please come with us? And they asked him. And he said, yeah, I'll come. (laughs) And so then he came along. In the end times, there are two witnesses from the book of Revelation. And these two witnesses have the power to turn water into blood and call down fire. You see, something that happened here that we kind of lose in this is that he has a rhema word that you can call down fire and I will send it. Is that amazing? You can call down fire and I will send it. Now I know that because it's done here. It's done elsewhere. And it's said to be of one of the two witnesses and of the two witnesses, we're pretty sure one is Moses, but we are absolutely sure that one is Elijah. We know that one is Elijah. We're pretty sure the other one is Moses. But boy, we know that one is Elijah. So even in the end times, he still has the ability to use that rhema word and to call down fire. Now, anybody here have a rhema word that says you can call down fire on your enemies and burn them up? We don't see that too many places, do they? But he's got it. God gave him that rhema word here, and apparently it's still going to be working in the end times, which means it's still working now. Don't get on Elijah's bad side. Now, he's careful about it. God knew, I can put this rhema word in your hands, and I know that you will use it right. Verse 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their backs, they have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. That's not a normal fire. But it was the fire that came from the Lord. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. He didn't call fire down on them. He let the people execute them. But everything he did is according to the word of the Lord. 1 Kings 19. Now, we did all that for you to get to this one spot. Verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Who executed the prophets? The people. how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. No, the people did. The people saw that the Lord was God. And they decided, let's get rid of these guys. And they executed him. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. 
The unfortunate part about this is that Elijah just showed how strong his God was. He stood up to hundreds of prophets. He stood up to a king, and he stood up to the people as one man against all of them. And the fire of God came down and showed that he was the one in the right. And they executed all those prophets. And then he boldly declared, rain is coming. You better get back now. And rain came. We skipped all that part of the story. And then this one messenger comes, delivers a message. What's his rhema word? Now, if he finds out, I can call fire down and call 50 to get burned up. And I can call down in the end times and have fire burn up people too. Why didn't he just call fire down on that servant? And just say, if I am a man of God, <laughs> may fire come down and burn you up. And burn him up right there. Would that not have said a whole lot more to the people? But see, he left the word of God that he had. He left it unoccupied. He abandoned it. He could have spoken it. He could have walked in it. But he left it to be unoccupied. Basically, Elijah put the sword down. He had been using it, but he put it down. If a mature Christian, even an elite Christian can do this, how much more can we? There's some other examples of this going on in Mark chapter 9. The disciples were given the rhema word from Jesus. Cast out demons and heal the sick. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He was, they were given that rhema word and they went out and they were amazed. Hey, even the demons are subject to us. And then we come to Mark chapter 9 and Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they come on back down and they see all the tumult and there's this demon possessed boy they couldn't cast the, the spirit out of. And they came to Jesus afterward and said, how come we could not cast it out? We spent some more time on it before, but apparently this was going on with a lot more uh, fanfare, a lot more of a show. Jesus, they even put a show on for Jesus, but it didn't convince Jesus that the word wasn't working. But it convinced them, and they abandoned it. Because Jesus said, why could we not cast it out? Because of your unbelief. They put the sword down. You can even possibly see Peter this because Peter had a word from God. God spoke to him in a vision about what was clean and what was not clean. And while he was there with the Gentiles, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when the people came from Jerusalem, he withdrew from the Gentiles and stayed eating with the Jews. And Paul himself had to rebuke him. It seemed that he left the word that he had. So I ask this question for you. Why do we leave what we once walked in? Why is it that we could leave what we once walked in. Because we have sometimes walked in some things in the Word of God, some understanding that we have, some wisdom that we had. We have walked in some of those things. We have had a healing. We walked in that healing. But then suddenly, that healing got abandoned. We don't occupy that healing anymore. We don't occupy that wisdom anymore. We don't occupy that power in prayer anymore. So why is it that we leave these things? First off, what we see doesn't match what we heard, understood, or expected. 
John was seeing something in the life of Jesus, but this is not what he heard, not what he understood, or not what he expected. And so he's beginning to question, was I right in saying that this was the Messiah? Something's just not matching up. John Mark probably had a word from God to leave with Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas probably had a word from God to take John Mark with them. But when John Mark gets out there at the first stop, he leaves because something didn't match up. Somehow what he saw didn't match what he heard, what he understood, or what he expected. That's the first reason. Second reason I can think of, when we don't see what we heard or understood, when we expected to. When we don't see what we heard or understood when we expected to. Have you ever been in a situation where you heard a voice from God, where you heard a rhema from God, where God gave you revelation on a thing, you heard it, but it's not happening when you expected it to? You expected it, but a lot sooner. You expected it, but in a much different way than how it came. I'm not seeing what I expected when I expected to see it. It's not there. Sometimes in the, in the end times, people, uh, well, we kind of expected to see something by now. So they may want to not occupy that teaching anymore. Abraham had a word from God about being blessed in his descendants, but he's not seeing any descendants. So he's ready to abandon that word. He's ready to, to not inhabit that anymore. Israel in the wilderness, they're not seeing some things that they expected to see. And so they're ready to abandon it. Let's go on back to Egypt. We had a word from God, but we're not seeing it the way that we think we ought to. Let's go back to Egypt. It was better for us back then. They're ready to abandon it. Here's number three. When we see things unfold differently than what we expected or understood. All right, I'm seeing some of these things come about, but this, this is unfolding completely different from the way I thought. The disciples with the crucifixion of Jesus. They saw this unfolding completely different from how it was going on. And they're ready to abandon the word, to leave it unoccupied. How about people who heard the words of Jeremiah? We looked at last week. And they saw things unfolding one way, the way Jeremiah was, but now they're seeing it unfold differently. Are we going to abandon the word that Jeremiah gave us? Jeremiah said, no, don't you, don't you buy into this. They're going to leave, but they're coming back. Well, no, we think we're going to believe what those other people said instead. The Thessalonians fell victim because the end times didn't unfold the way they expected for what Paul taught them. But Paul had to write to them and say, Guys, this is exactly what I told you. Don't you abandon this. Don't you leave it. You see, I still remember the rainbow word. I understand it. Hey, I even walked in it. But for some reason, because maybe one of these three reasons, or maybe, I wanna, maybe a different one, I vacated it. So how can we guard against this? I wrote down some things here for you. How can we guard against it? Because it's not good enough just to know how this happened. I've got to know how to stop it. 
How do we stop it from happening? First off, be convinced of the word God spoke to you. That was really the first tactic the enemy uses to try and get you unsure. Be uncertain about the word. Be convinced of the word God spoke. Be convinced of it. Before you start using it, before you get out there and start using that sword, you become convinced, this is what God spoke to me. You know that it came from God, and you understand what God said. Don't go on your understanding of what God said. Understand what He said. Well, He said this, 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 this. Don't add other words into it. Take exactly what God said, and you stay with that. That's what you got to hold on to. Because you may have one understanding, one understanding of what's going on. But after a little while, you walk in it for a bit. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. This is what you said. I've been walking in this. But that's not exactly what you said to do. Oh, I got this now. I got this now. Okay. I've had some times in my life. God told me, do, do it this way. All right. And I, I walked in it how I understood that. Then all of a sudden, took a step back. Wait a minute. Wait. You didn't say to do that. You said. <laughs> and so I, we, we fixed it up. Be convinced of the word that God spoke to you. Here's the second one. Stay convinced of the word God spoke to you. Stay convinced. You were convinced. Now stay that way. Haven't you sometimes been unconvinced along the way? You get into a meeting. Hands get laid on you. Glory to God, I'm healed. I'm convinced I'm healed. But tomorrow, I'm wondering, boy, did I really get healed? I mean, I'm feeling a little bit over here. This is going on. I'm not... No, stay convinced. Don't let it go. Stay convinced of the word that God spoke to you. Here's the third one. Speak words born of the word God spoke. You've got to speak some words of yourself. Elijah's doing this. He is speaking words born of what God spoke. John the Baptist was doing this. He was speaking words born of what God spoke. Abraham eventually got to the place where he was speaking words born of what God spoke instead of words born of his doubt and unbelief. Jesus constantly spoke words born of what God had spoken to him. This is what we got to do. Speak words. Don't think words. Speak them. Speak them out. Let other people know, I will do this. God is doing this. God has done this. God has made. God has done. God will provide. Whatever it is, you speak words born of that word that God spoke. You speak words born of it. Don't just repeat the word that God said. Speak words born of it. And certainly, don't speak against it. Don't speak words that are against the word that God spoke. Speak words that are born of it. Here's the fourth one. See the fulfilling of the word of, of the word God spoke. See the fulfilling of the word that God spoke. You got to walk around. You got to begin to see it. Abraham had to begin to see the word that God spoke fulfilled. He had to begin to see it. God changed his name so he could begin to see it. I want you to see it. Look up in the stars. You see that? That's how your descendants are going to be. Look at the sand. Do you see that? That's how your descendants are going to be. He got him to visualize what was going on. He wanted him to see it. You've got to do the same thing. See the fulfilling of the, 
of the word that God spoke. Here's the fifth one. Tolerate no questioning of the word that God spoke. Tolerate no questioning of the word that God spoke. Don't tolerate it in your mind. Don't tolerate it in your ears. Don't be letting people around you speak doubt and unbelief about the Word of God. The woman with the issue of blood. How many people do you think were around here that spoke doubt and unbelief about that? I'm, I'm absolutely convinced she was aggressive. This is different. This will come about. What I had before was faith in doctors. I have faith in Jesus of Nazareth because people are being healed. And if I have faith, if I say this, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. Don't tolerate people around you questioning. Get in their face. You may have to get a little bit aggressive. <laughs> Just get a little bit aggressive about it. I can imagine John the Baptist being aggressive with people who wanted to tell him that he was wrong because John had that personality. I can imagine Elijah being aggressive with people who wanted to tell him something different. you imagine somebody coming up to Elijah who found out about the, the uh, oil in the flour? You know, that's only going to work for so long. What do you think he said to him? It'll work until God has provided something else. It will keep on going. It is not going to steer its way off. Keep that up. Because these are, tactics, these are tactics that the devil wants to get you to leave the word that you have received unoccupied. He wants you to abandon it. The longer you leave it abandoned, the more disrepair it comes. Don't let it fall in disrepair. You've walked in it. You've been in it. Now, how many, you don't want to raise your hand. You can use your inside hands on this. But how many can think of a word that God spoke to you that you have abandoned? That you have left unoccupied? Well, God said this about whatever. He said this about what you were going to do in ministry. He said this about what you were going to do in life. He said this about what you were going to do. What you were going to say. What you are going to have. In your body, there was healing but it's been abandoned you need to go back and pick up that word that God had said because when God spoke it it didn't lose its power only reason it's not operating is because you abandoned it I love looking at pictures and I didn't pull one of these up I could have pictures of an old deteriorating building, but it has some great historical value and somebody decided I'm going to buy this and I'm going to restore it. And there are pictures of places that have fallen in complete disrepair that have been repaired and brought back up, fixed up. And they look just the same as they did before. You can go back and get that word that God spoke to you. I don't need a new word. I got what God spoke. It's still a word that God spoke. You just pick that thing back up. I'm moving back in here. I am going to occupy this place again. The devil got me to abandon it, to leave it unoccupied. But I'm moving back in and I'm going to occupy it. 
and I'm going to do the things that I need to do to get this to operate in my life. And just go back over here on these five things. First off, be convinced that was the word that God spoke to you. Stay convinced. Speak words born of it. See the fulfilling of it and tolerate no questioning. And you're going to see that there's going to be life in that again. A lot of times people don't take an old home that has historical value and spend the time to fix it up. They'd just rather tear it down and build something new because it's cheaper. But every so often you find a house, you say, this one is worthwhile. This one has some significance. Find those words that God had given you. They had significance. They had power. You let it go. That word is still there. You don't need God to speak it to you again. He already spoke it to you. The word that God spoke to Moses 40 years prior, probably even more than 40 years prior, Moses abandoned and went out in the wilderness, left it alone for 40 years. Would you all stand up with me? Yeah, I'll need those two pieces of paper that are there because I left them back with my stuff. <laughs> Today is our communion Sunday. And though most of our folks are at home or other places, thank you, at home or other places, we're going to have our communion observation here. A couple of uh, healing prayers for people that are not here. Candy was asking for prayer for her uh, house church pastor, his daughter, is in Port Charles, South Carolina. Was more damaged than they thought. Oh, I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was something. And um, and they're in hotel, so that we can pray for for them to uh, get all that restored. Also, one of the uh, ladies in my Bible study had a fall and broke her nose and a rib. All right. And Sharon said, would you agree with me that my family member is healed of uh, blood cancer? And there's another friend that has a brain aneurysm. So these are things that are going on. And the sword of the Spirit is here for these people to use. You have the Logos written word that is there as we meditate on that. God will speak words to us how that will work in, in our lives. We take that word that he speaks and now that is our sword against these things. When we take the time to do that, we will see great success. Many times people just want to take the Lagos, not the Rhema. If you want a sword, you got to go beyond the Lagos. I'm not saying we got to go beyond the word. I'm saying you have to get something where God has spoken to you, revelation, understanding, revelation, knowledge, wisdom from his word. He spoke it to you. Oh, that's what that means. That's how that works in my life. And then you can go out there and you are armed. But don't let it, don't put it aside. That is a rhema word, and it will do much damage to the enemy. I'll ask our ushers that they will get the elements.